Hey everyone, how you doing? This is Amon Green, Green Bay Packers all-time leading rusher, and you're listening to The Average Cheese, hosted by Dell and Todd, two lifelong Packer fans talking about their favorite team, the 13-time champion, Green Bay Packers. Go Pack Go! Welcome to episode 157 of the Average Cheese Podcast. Thanks to Rhonda and the folks at RM Management. Thanks to Dwight at ddgcustoms.com. And thanks to Dan and the folks at Bob Anderson Builders. If you're listening to us for the first time, you can catch us on Twitter at AVGCheese. We also have a website, www.avgcheese.com, which has had no new content unless, Peter, you've been putting a bunch of stuff up there. If you're listening for the first time, when I cuss, a quarter goes in the jar for Crohn's and Colitis Foundation of Wisconsin. Peter, it's nice to see you again. Happy Victory Monday. Happy Playoff Monday to you. Good to be here. I mean, playoffs, what can you say? What can, hey. what can you say? It's a, it's a good day to be a Packer fan. It, it really is. It really is. The Packers have qualified for the playoffs seven of the last 10 seasons. We are very spoiled as a fan base to be able to say that. Our friends down south of the border in Illinois are not quite as fortunate. But they did have their Super Bowl last Sunday, yesterday, and they lost again. Tell us a little about a little bit about the Packers and their playoff history, Peter, before we move on to the slices. Yeah, so rather than doing a player profile this week, we thought we'd just touch on Packers' playoff history because... Well, just because, why not? And as you said, yeah, the Packers have qualified for the playoffs the last seven seasons out of the last 10. And 23 of the last 32. And I picked 32 because that's when Brett Favre came to Green Bay and Mike Holmgren came to Green Bay. So that kind of new era, if you like. The 36th season, 36th time that the Packers have qualified for the playoffs. And funnily enough, they have 36 playoff wins. So they're 36 and 25 in playoff games. Now, remember, many of the seasons prior to I guess the mid-1960s there was only one playoff game even if you qualified for the playoffs it was the, you know the championship game um and like I say they're 36 and 25 in playoff games playing on the road this coming week they're 11 and 17 on the road and I think that kind of gives a fair reflection probably of probably for most teams their ability to win on on the road that's and not a terrible very, record though it's pretty good and they've gone through spells I mean we remember you know, like in the mid-90s, for example, keep going down to Dallas and losing. You know, you take those games out and you get a lot closer to, to 500. It just yeah. depends on who you play, when you play them, and all, and, all, and all of that stuff. And go back to the Packers' last Super Bowl win, the 2010 season. They won all those playoff games on the road. What else? And just jumping back, the Packers' very first playoff game was all the way back in 1936, which was the NFL championship game against what was then the Boston Redskins. It was played in New York City. And the Packers won, of course, 21-6 behind a couple of touchdown passes by the great Arnie Herber. Don Hudson caught a 48-yard touchdown pass. And that was the Packers' fourth NFL title, but their very first under a playoff system. And that's our little bit of Packers playoff history for this week. Because you know what? We're going to save some because we're going to do some more next week, next when, they week. Continue in, when they continue in the playoffs. I love that. We can't just put all the Packer history out there. We've got quite a few weeks to save it for, right? Exactly. Exactly. So on to the slices. 
Christian Watson not playing in this game. He had practiced and then didn't practice. So I don't know if he had a setback. And, and again, I don't need LaFleur and the coaching staff to tell me everything about every player. But at some point, Christian Watson is going to have, they're going to have to say something. This was a big game for the Packers. This is win and get in. If you are 80%, should you play? I feel like you should. I know it's a hamstring and that could really cause long-term issues down the road. I get that. But you got an entire offseason to rest. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess, I guess the only thing I think, I think the situation is probably different from earlier in the season with the wide receiver group that they've got, Bo Melton and even Malik Heath as the fifth or sixth wide receiver in that group. I think the urgency probably isn't there as it, as it was perhaps earlier in the season as that group hadn't yet progressed. The other interesting thing, and you're right, it felt like a week because he practiced that he was going to play. The other interesting thing was that they elevated Grant DuBose from the practice squad on Saturday. And that kind of gave the impression that they felt that one of the receivers wasn't going to play or maybe wouldn't play. But then he was inactive anyway on Sunday. So that kind of gave me the impression, rightly or wrongly and probably wrongly, that they weren't sure that one of the others was, wasn't going to play either. So right. they activated him on Saturday just in case. Well, then another, another wide receiver did get hurt during the game. Romeo Dobbs started yeah. the game and then... But it didn't play much day-to-day injury. I don't know. It hurts because you want all those guys out there. You want every guy to get reps because they're all doing a great job. Dobbs has proven in big moments to make pretty big plays. A.J. Dillon not only has the thumb, but also had a stinger. And that's why he didn't play in this game. So you got a full dose of Aaron Jones, which we'll talk about later. Isaiah McDuffie. Has Isaiah McDuffie, should he get more snaps? Has he earned the right? to play not above Devondre Campbell, but play alongside in sort of a rotation like they do the outside linebackers or no? I don't mind it when he's in there. Let's let's put it like that. I don't I don't think they will rotate those in the inside guys. I think that that they like that pairing of Walker and Campbell. So I don't think in an ideal world they'll they'll rotate that very much. But I like McDuffie and I don't have any problem when he's in there. I think he's been one of the Perhaps one of the surprises this season. He's done a good job when he's been in there. Yeah, I would totally agree. He has gotten considerably better. He was more of a glaring weakness when he was in early, and he has gotten a lot better. So I'm I'm happy to see that. He's in the concussion protocol. Uh, Roster updates, the lacerated kidney. That's what Kate and I called Luke Musgrave, lacerated kidney every time (laughs) he was out on the field. He played in this game. He didn't do a ton. He wasn't super effective, but he's back, which is... Fucking bananas to me, to be honest. Rudy Ford was placed on IR before. I have to ask you, are you making this up? Is it really a hamstring issue? Yeah, I wasn't sure what the issue was. And then I and then I looked on the last injury report that I could find and it said hamstring. So I'm assuming that that's the reason that he's gone on IR. I just thought you were trying to fire me up because you know where no, I, no, I I actually couldn't find a I couldn't find an up-to-date report, so I so I kind of made an assumption there. But so after the game. I saw this on Twitter. Jaquan Brisker, pretty good safety for second year safety for the Bears, says we gave them too much room. Absolutely right. And I really have no respect for them at all, to be honest. No one's over there. No respect. They have no stars. It feels like he's self-owning. Like, dude, if, if they're no good and they cooked you for over 300 yards passing, what does that say about you if they're not good? I don't know what to make of that. I mean, the quick response to that would be pick up tomorrow's newspaper and see what the score is in the newspaper and then go and look at the one from earlier in the season because you got beat twice. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> right. 
<laughs> those non-stars made you look a bit silly in the secondary. Now, granted, they didn't have Jalen Johnson. I get it. And that's a big loss when you're number one big guy. To say you have no respect for these guys, to be honest, that no one's no one's over there. Well, those no ones just beat your ass. Sorry, Jaquan. And have a great offseason. We'll talk a little bit about the playoffs, Peter. So we'll talk about the AFC first. The Ravens have the number one seed in a bye. The early Sunday. Now we have people that listen on your side of the pond. So I don't even know what to call these games because the times are all relative, right? The, the earliest Sunday game is the Steelers at the Bills. Now the Bills looked for a while during the season like they were going in the wrong direction. They had that whole Sean McDermott thing where he like, said some things that were pr- kind of out of tune but here they are they had there was a must win game on sunday against the dolphins and they won that game we'll talk about yeah. who you think's going to win but what do you think's going on there with buffalo and they moved on from their offensive coordinator ken dorsey kind of right. halfway through halfway through the season as well I, I don't know i think the expectations are really high you know i think coming into this season we would have picked buffalo right up with kansas city probably in the afc going into this year i think i think the expectations are really high and i think the pressure's even higher because they haven't been able to knock off the chiefs if you like in in, in recent in recent years and they also suffer a little bit, I guess, from that history of not yet having won the the big one in the in the Super Bowl era. I think there's all all of those. When you step back from that, there's a lot of talent on that football team. Agreed. Josh Allen, James Cook, Diggs, all of those guys. It's a talented football team. There are guys on that side of the ball that can they scare you. And Josh Allen is as apt to run you over while he's running the football as he is to throw it over your head. And he's big enough to do so. You know, like other guys, you're like, "Mm, you should stop running, buddy. Him, I mean, I still think he shouldn't run as much as he does, but he's physically big enough to at least take the beating. The early Saturday, no, the Saturday night game is Dolphins at Chiefs on Peacock. I put that it's on Peacock for those folks who don't, you know, I don't know. I hate that it's on Peacock. I have it. I'm lucky enough to have Peacock, but come on, NBC, just put it on NBC and leave it there. So we can watch these fucking games. Do you think the Chiefs have righted the ship enough to beat Miami? I think this is an absolute pick em game. I can't. It's difficult to work out exactly what's going on in Kansas City. A lot of that's because of the high standards they've set themselves. You know, this isn't an average ball club. And I guess when, when Kansas City ends up as the number three seed, because let's face it, we probably all expected them to be probably the number one seed and number two at worst. You know, when they end up as the number three seed, you know, you you kind of wonder what quite what's going on there. But I still believe an Andy Reid-led team with Patrick Mahomes can beat anybody on its day. I don't, like I say, I don't quite know what's going on there, but that's going to be a really good matchup, actually. Dolphins at Chiefs, that's going to be a really good game, I think. Totally agree. You look at the line of games, and granted, the Packers game is the one that we'll be the most interested in, but that game. It could go like 56 54. Yeah, you know, like yeah, yeah. there's a lot of a lot of offense that could be played right there. I, I don't know what's going on with the Chiefs either. I mean, I just I think they're they really miss Tyreek Hill. I think you have a game changer like that and you get rid of him. It's it's impossible to replace that guy. And the last game in the AFC is the Browns, the Joe Flacco led Browns versus the Cinderella, the Cinderella Texans. That's a great story, the Texans. D'Amico Ryans is locked up coach of the year, right? I would think so. And and, and CJ Stroud, Stroud surely has got to be rookie of the year, right? 
Yeah, I mean, and and this again is looks like a pick'em game to me. On paper, if they were playing on a, you know a neutral venue, you'd probably pick the Browns. But but you'd say so there's not a not a lot. You know that Browns defense, I guess, scares you as much as anything with Miles Garrett and those guys. But yeah, I, I think this is going to be another another really tight football game. It's going to be a fun yeah. game to watch, just like the other yeah, ones. Yeah, it is. The only game that doesn't feel fun to me is Bills Steelers. We can talk about scores if you want to at the end. The other two games look like they're going to be very interesting football games. The NFL is, I'll say lucky, but this is a good year to watch playoff football because there isn't going to be too many blowouts. On the NFC side, the 49ers are the number one seed. They get the bye in the first round. The Packers play Sunday afternoon against the Cowboys. Of course, we're going to talk a lot more about that later on. The Rams at the Lions. That's kind of cool with the Matthew Staffords versus the former Matthew Staffords. That should be fun. There won't be enough. They will talk about that for the entire week. Matthew Stafford versus his former team. Did Jameer Gibbs and David Montgomery both go over a thousand yards? I was going to look because they were really close. I think that they were both within like a hundred yards of going over a thousand each, which is pretty awesome. Like, that would scare me as any defense. When you have Jared Goff, who's pretty good. I'm on Ross St. Brown, who is pretty good. Uh, I don't know if Sam Laporta is going to play. That could be a problem for them. But when you got two guys that can run the football like that, now granted, it's at Detroit. It's not in weather. But if they have to go play in weather, if they had to go to Green Bay or if they had to go to San Francisco on a soggy track or Philadelphia, for that matter, they could end up being a tough team to beat with those two good running backs. Absolutely. And this is another interesting matchup because, you know, the, the Lions for the for three quarters of this season, the Lions were, you know, obviously the, the whole season, they were the strength of the NFC North. But for three quarters of this season, they they looked really, really, really good. And then around just before Thanksgiving, they played the Bears a couple of times. The Bears beat them once and nearly beat them a second time. The Packers beat them. It just felt like maybe they'd peaked too early in the season. You know, they came back and they beat the Vikings a couple of times. They beat the Vikings this past past Sunday. That wasn't a dominating performance from what I saw of that of, of that game against the Nick Mullins-led uh, Minnesota Vikings. And the Rams are almost the opposite. Started slow this season and then got and then got on a roll. Matthew Stafford did Matthew Stafford stuff. Puka Nakua broke all the rookie records for for wide receivers. Incredible rookie season. Yeah, another another good matchup i would expect the home team to win this one but i think that's going to be a good game agreed i wonder you know this is sort of the opposite of how they played last season the lions last season they started off slow and then won a bunch of games late just couldn't quite do it at the end and get into the playoffs this is the opposite they played well early beat the chiefs in week one and here they are at the end of the season kind of limping along I know I've said this about Dan Campbell, but I'm going to say it again. I didn't think Dan Campbell needs to just start coaching a good team like he's got a good team. You don't have to take these chances. That whole two-point conversion thing that happened to him a couple weeks ago, like, Dan, the gods are telling you to kick the damn extra point. Just do it. Did you get hosed on that play? Possibly, but come on. Kick the extra point. You got the better team. Go to overtime and win it. Or maybe you don't think you do. Maybe he's not confident, but I think they'll win this game also. Um, the last game, the Monday night game, is Eagles Bucks at Tampa Bay. I don't know what's going on with the Eagles. The Eagles have had the same kind of problem as the Lions. Like they're playing so poorly lately. I don't. I don't know. It's one of those situations where you keep thinking they're too good. They're going to turn this around at any game, and then they, they don't. Yeah. yeah. 
I, I guess their saving grace this week is that they're playing the Bucks, who have just somehow limped into the playoffs, beating the Panthers nine, nine to nothing. Or yeah. it was. It I, could end up being a very boring game if these two teams keep playing the way that they're playing. It could be three zero at halftime. You're like, dang, I'm so sorry. You will go to bed for sure if it's a boring game because it'll be like <laughs> three a.m. at halftime of that game. You know, the the Eagles are very offensive line driven and defensive line driven, and I think on offense. While DeAndre Swift is a fine player, he has to have holes created for him. And if their offensive line isn't on, I don't think they can move the football as they did early. See how that goes. Do you want to pick these games? Yeah, let's Not go even ahead. with let's the spread. Is straight up pick the games. Straight up pick the winners. Yeah. So let's go to Bills Steelers. Bills. Same. I'll go first for the next one. Chiefs Dolphins. I'm gonna say Miami wins on the road. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with Kansas City. Browns at Texans. Oh, difficult one for me. Lots of really good Browns fans. My wife's from Houston. I'm gonna go with my <laughs> wife. Do you want to just leave it alone? <laughs> no, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with my wife's hometown and say the Texans. I think that the Browns will win this game again. Another road team wins. I don't want to say that old Joe Flacco is going to come up with some new tricks, but he has played spectacularly for them. He just looks. I don't want to say confident because I, I think he's always been confident. I just think he's relaxed. This is like my third swan song. <laughs> Fuck it. Like, I can't lose. Even if I lose, I can't lose. Like, I'm winning. Yep. And you mentioned the coach of the year thing earlier. I think this is the matchup with the two coach of the year candidates with Kevin Stefanski at the, at the Browns. I think he's only his fourth quarterback. Right. <laughs> you know, so. Right. And they're in the fifth seed. It's not like they snuck yeah. in. I saw something on Twitter. Uh, the guy had a couch jersey. It was a Browns fan. He had a couch jersey. But he also had like 97 other names of all the other quarterbacks that were on there, yeah. including yeah, Jeff Driscoll. You saw that? I saw that, yeah. And, that, and that's just the quarterbacks they've had in the last few years, right? It's like <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. That was pretty – that's a very cool jersey. All right. On to the NFC. The 49ers have a bye. We'll talk Packers and Cowboys later. So let's go to the other two games. Rams-Lions at Detroit. I think the the Lions win that game. I also think the Lions win that game. At home, I think it's their time. I actually hope they do. Bucks-Eagles. I'll go first. I I think the Eagles, they don't even have to right the ship. I think the Buccaneers are that bad. All they have to do is play mediocre football to beat Tampa Bay. Your thoughts? I think the Eagles win. We don't need any analysis for that. We'll just go with, I think I think Philly wins that guy. Okay, on to the Bears-Packers game that I was at yeah. with my daughter. Thank you again, Kate. That was amazing. It was a lot of fun. We had a lot of fun. And she was so worried the Packers were going to lose, which she understands her father. That's a long-ass drive from Green Bay to Milwaukee in silence. Two and a half, three hours in the car with all the traffic. I was also happy they won because that's awkward. Like, I can't expose my daughter to that kind of insanity. She can usually, like, go to her room or leave the house or something, but she would have been stuck in the car with me for that whole time. Shout out, by the way, to the guys on the Packers Radio Network for taking all those calls from those drunk-ass fools driving home from the game. It's hard to listen to. I was not one of them, by the way. PFF grades, Jordan Love, again, very good. Went over 300 yards, 83.0 PFF grade. John Runyon Jr., might have been his best game this year, 81.0. Aaron Jones was spectacular. We'll talk about this later, 80.4. Bo Melton, again, very good, 77.7. And Dontavian Wicks, 76.6. 
on the other side of things, Romeo Dobbs didn't, he didn't have a ton of snaps. So his 53.6 doesn't mean a lot. Ben Sims, I've talked about it before. I'm not sure why he's on the roster. He's just a worse version of the two guys that they have, but someone's got to play once in a while. So I guess it's Ben Sims. Patrick Taylor, I, he also had like five snaps in this game, 56.1. Malik Heath had a 56.7. And Sean Ryan, even though he dribbled some dude's head off the turf, only had a 61.1. Did you see that play when he was just holding the dude's head down? <laughs> no, I don't remember that. I am a big fan of Sean Ryan for that. He he blocked some dude, and then he just had his hand on his helmet holding him down. But he's going to start a fight there. So you're suggesting he should get a higher PFF grade just for that? Yeah, I absolutely am. I think Sean Ryan should get like a plus two for that play just for holding that dude's head down like, I just punked you, bitch. The good, the bad, and the ugly trademarked. Peter, let's start with you. Good. But the, the offense, again, we talked about this last week, very balanced. They went over 300 yards passing. They moved the ball on the ground as well. Aaron Jones, superb. And it has been excellent for the last well for the three weeks that he's been back well over 300 yards rushing in those three games at getting on for six yards a carry it's been spectacular for me again it's the whole balance of the offense they could move the ball in the through the air they could move the ball on the ground that to me is says it all and then you've got the stats that then support that Jordan Love Aaron Jones and and, and the wide receivers Reed Wicks Bo Melton all of those guys just just very very good game on offense Aaron Jones three weeks in a row with 100-yard games. I mean, there are other reasons that they're in the playoffs, but I think it all starts with him. When he gets going, and I don't know what their record is, there's some insane stat when Aaron Jones touches the ball 20 times or carries the ball 20 times, they're like 21-5 and five or something crazy like that. He was the best player on the field, I thought. And I thought Jordan Love was spectacular. So don't, I'm not downplaying Jordan Love. I just think Aaron Jones changed that football game. We were in the end zone. Aaron Jones can do things that no other back on the Packers roster can do. The play is supposed to go into the one gap or, you know, between the guard center hole. It's not there. He busts it outside, runs for nine yards. That play with A.J. Dillon or Patrick Taylor is a negative two. That kind of thing he brings to the table every time. He is able to do things no one else can do. You have to look beyond 40 times, right? Because because it's about seeing that initial gap. And it's that five or 10-yard burst, like you say, when, when the play is designed to go between guard and center through the, through the one gap. And all of a sudden, you know, he's breaking it off to the outside, bouncing it to the outside. And, and, and you have to have that sudden change of pace, the quick acceleration over five, 10 yards to make to make that happen. And what's also interesting to me, and I'm not suggesting by any stretch of the imagination they're similar backs, but go back to 2010 and right near the end of the 2010 season, the Packers got the running game going with James Starks. I wonder. <laughs> it's, uh. it's, me with my, it's me with my optimistic Packers hat. But, but if you can move the ball on the ground and through the air, you got chances. I know what Aaron Jones's longest carry this week was something like 17 yards or something like that. So it wasn't right. as though 50 of his 100 were on one play. Mm-hmm. Every play was positive. And speaking of moving it through the air too, Jordan Love was spectacular in this game. There aren't enough superlatives to say about Jordan Love anymore. Now he made two, I thought, poor decisions that didn't end up being interceptions. One should have been a touchdown to Romeo Dobbs. The other one should have been an interception, which wouldn't have actually changed the outcome because the Packers didn't end up getting a kickoff in that instance. So it wouldn't have changed anything. On the first one, so we're on the good deal. Jordan Love was 27 of 32, almost perfect. 
316 yards, two touchdowns, 128.6 QBR rating. Fucking awesome. I am one of those people that wasn't sure at the beginning of the year. And I, I know I've, I was, I kind of beat up on him. And if you go way back to like episode one, I said he may never play as a Packer. Okay, first mistake of my life. I was definitely wrong about that. He is that guy. He's that fucking guy. And he did it in a big situation. This isn't a Sunday noon game against some shitbag team and doesn't matter. This is playoffs on the line, 36 degrees outside, cold ball. We need to win this game. Jordan Love played his tail off. Throwing the ball to guys like Bo Melton, Dontavian Wicks, and my guy Jaden Reed. Bo Melton is the dirty work guy. That's the guy that has to do those things to be on the roster. That guy is going to get beat up and he's going to come up with catches. I feel like he knows this is my opportunity. Bo knows. Bo knows. We should get that t-shirt. Bo knows. Yeah, like the old Bo Jackson stuff from back in the day. Peter, that's genius. I love that idea. Uh, Dontavian oh. Wicks again was good. Jaden Reed, yep. the throw to Jaden Reed, throw he had like 59 yards on. When you watch that from the All-22 I don't even know how Jordan Love sees that he's going to come open on that play. For a first-year starter, an insane throw. And Reed just keeps running. He's so great in the open field, too. Like, he's not just going to go down there. He's looking for a way to score. And not all receivers will do that. Jaden Reed gets the ball. He's like, I get the... He's the Matt Hasselbeck. We're going to take the ball, and we're going to score. Anything else good before we move on to the bad? Tucker Craft again showed up, and it was good to see Luke Musgrave back and... He didn't get that many snaps, which you wouldn't expect his first game back. But hopefully, he, you know, he'll be more active next week, as it were, in terms of the number of snaps he gets. And that that tight end pairing of those two, they're just yeah, um, right. <laughs> you add that to the receivers and the running game, and it's just it's just so exciting. And not just for this coming week, obviously, but the potential for the future for next year and for twenty twenty five is just yes, mind blowing. The bad, the drops were bad. Okay, so let me go back to. So we were in the end zone when Jordan Love threw that ball to Dobbs that he almost caught. Jordan Love should have run for the first down, first of all, on that play. I know what he's trying to do, but he's throwing that ball across his body to the middle of the field. Now, it was a perfect throw, to be fair to Jordan Love. That ball was only where Romeo Dobbs was going to catch it. But it's on an, an unnecessary throw. It's third and four or third and five. Run for the first down. Hopefully not fumble it, but run for the first down. And then let's get closer. And then you got another three shots at the end zone. Dobbs should have caught that ball, to be fair. And then the Melton yep. play, he should have caught that ball too, probably. And that was, uh, we were at the game. So the replay is, you know, on a thousand foot screen, like nine miles away. I couldn't tell. What were your thoughts on, did he drop that ball? I don't think it was a touchdown. TV guys, I forget who the main commentator was, but Tony Romo was there with him. And I, I don't know, they, as they played it and replayed it, they came round to thinking it was a touchdown, but I don't think it was. I mean, if you reverse the roles and that play had been against the Packers, we'd be He's sitting here saying, that, that ain't a touchdown. So I think on the balance of probability, I think that's probably the right call. The ugly, if the dog would have been at the game with me, that would have been his PTSD moment at the end of the half. Holy smokes. I am screaming at Tucker Craft from row 37, but it started. it started out with a problem. So the Packers are on defense. They sack Justin Fields on third down. There's a minute 39 on the clock. And I put this on Twitter. That should have been an immediate timeout. Instead, the Packers let the clock running down. And I am fucking veins popping out of my head. Call timeout! 
out like Matt LaFleur can hear me from section 136. But they burned up, I think, to like 123. I think there were 16 seconds that burned up on the kick. And if the fucking Bears were smarter, they'd have run that ball down to zeros on the clock. But they didn't. But that was the beginning of it. And then, yeah, Tucker Craft not running out of bounds. Are you shitting me? You're a tight end, first of all. And you're not going to run past anybody. And he cut inside and then tried to run some dude over. Even if you pick up two, three, four, five yards, those are not as valuable as the 30 seconds you're just not safe by not going out of bounds. At the game, you don't get the Nance and Romo explanation of things. So they throw that ball out in the flat. And I'm sitting, standing. We stood the whole time. Sorry about the guys behind us. There were some old people behind us that didn't stand the whole game. I'm like, sorry. I'm five foot four. I got to stand because these people in front of me are standing. I'm going to see shit. Anyway, that ball should have went to the end zone. I heard LaFleur's press conference. And he's like, that's an ozone play. It's either to the outside or it's to the end zone. Clearly, that's an end zone throw and not an outside throw. Because what are you accomplishing on a four yard out? You're just, and you're putting it on the wrong side for our fucking kicker who sucks ass. And, so. it's, re- and it's really interesting because. Right before that play, Tony Romo said, uh, I'm paraphrasing because I've not gone back and re-listened to it, but he said something like, you either throw this to the end zone or you throw a quick out. Romo said it just before the play. It's like, I didn't get it at the time. I still don't get it now because because it comes back to, you know, you want to gain as many yards as you can and you make the field goal shorter and all of that kind of stuff. But the risk that comes with that is exactly what happened. Yeah. Oh, I was absolutely losing my shit. And then I didn't understand because you don't hear Tony Romo talking. Why didn't this clock stop? I had no idea what happened because you can't tell from the angle from the opposite end zone. You know, and I think, you you know, you felt that's three points gone. They missed a field goal earlier in the, in the half. That's another three points gone. That's six points that have gone in a tight game. The Bears weren't scoring points. After those first couple of drives, they the Packers shut them down. Let's talk a little bit about the defense. Top PFF grades, Carl Brooks, 89.4. Quay Walker had a nice game. I don't want to say they're playing him correctly, but I like what they're doing with Quay Walker right now, 76.1. Kenny Clark had a 75.9. I thought he played better last week and had a worse score, but that's just me. Jair Alexander, 74.9, and TJ Slayton with a 71.2, 71.0. Those are the top PFF grades. On the bottom side, Lucas Van Ness with a 44.2. J.J. Enigbari, 44.9. That's not good when your two outs, your two edge guys are that low. Devontae Wyatt had a really good play, and then he must have sucked the rest of the game because 50.9. Carrington Valentine, we'll talk about him later, 54.1. And Keyshawn Nixon, who I also thought had a pretty good game, 62.4. You know, your initial thoughts on that is that, is that some of those feel a little bit harsh. You know, to be fair to PFF, they've gone and looked at every single play in a level of detail that certainly I haven't. But just general feeling. I mean, I, you know, I felt that Devontae Wyatt would appear to have been better than a 50.9 grade. But again, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll defer to the people that have gone and watched those plays multiple times. But generally speaking about the defensive performance, you've held another team to under, under 200 yards, total yards, 117 passing, 75 on the ground. Yeah, of which those 75 on the ground, Justin Fields had 27, mm-hmm. something like that. So you've held the running backs to, my maths isn't very good, 48 yards rushing. It's a really good defensive performance, especially when you consider that on every drive, the Bears got beyond midfield. On every single one of their possessions, 
but only twice got to the red zone and, and ended up scoring no touchdowns. And that's almost your definition of bend but don't break. Mm-hmm. You know it's what? Joe they Barry. It's what yeah, he does. It really is. But they didn't even really bend when you don't give up 200 yards. The Bears had great field position in this game, but the, to be fair to Joe Barry and the defense, they really did a good job, a really good job. Clearly, if you've listened to this show before, I am not big. I'm not on the Joe Barry should stay train. I still think he should be fired. But in this game, in this moment, Joe Barry's defense showed up and they won this football game for them. They really played well. Justin Fields looked completely clueless in the second half. Like he had no idea what to do out there. And I thought that came from the way Joe Barry called this game. And the players, of course, played well too. I'm not saying that's just a coaching thing. There are things he's doing that he didn't do earlier in the season. I don't know the numbers, but it felt like the majority of the five sacks that they came, came on third down rather than first down sacks, which can still be overcome. They got the plays that they had to have, the sacks, the tackles for a loss to get off the field on those crucial down. There was one play, so Jair has taken a lot of grief, and for me too, on what's you know playing, not playing, or whatever. He made a play, and I don't know if it was the first play of the game, the second play of the game. It was early in the game. I think it was the one where they where the running back slipped, so it might have been the first play of the game. Jair Alexander, hurt shoulder, comes up in run support and absolutely blew up that play. That felt to me like Jair saying to these guys, like, I'm all fucking in. Don't get it twisted. I am all in in this game. He's made some business decisions in this season where he's kind of olayed out of tackles. But that was, here, fuck I am. It's the first play of the game. I thought that set the tone. It was mentally, for me, I was like, this dude is here, and we're going to win this football game. He's going to try to will us to do it. If that's really the case, if, if he's anywhere near his best, it's what he needs to be coming up with, you know, with the challenge of C.D. Lamb and Co. next weekend because we're going to yes. need him to be at that level. J.J. Anikbare and had a fifty or forty-four point nine grade, but had two tackles for a loss. I thought he played okay. Your guy Carl Brooks, Colby Wooden, and Carl Brooks are absolute steals in this draft. I don't have enough words for that right now. They both do things that Dean Lowry, the Tyler Lancasters, the Montrevious Adams types. They can't do that. Really impressed with the way they played in this game. And to sack Justin Fields five times. That shows the amount of pressure that they got. Because you can't sack Justin Fields with one guy. Right. You've got to get pressure from multiple places to be able to to keep him in the pocket and and, and, and track him down. Because you can't run him down from behind if you're a defensive no. lineman. And they pushed the pocket. I don't know if that is something that they're changing now the last couple of weeks, they have pushed the pocket forward. You don't see that real wide dip from the outside linebackers that you've seen in you know, previous games and early in the season. They are pushing forward. It is much harder to escape the pocket when there isn't that gigantic hole to run through. Because while De- Dak Prescott is not Justin Fields, he's still going to run through there for yards if they do that. On the bad side, and again, the Packers gave up nine points and less than 200 yards. Carrington Valentine on that play, he was the wide receiver on the ball that he dropped. He made the play and knocked it down. But if he catches that ball, it's game over. That's my only thing. Like, he catches that, they don't score, the game is over. That's why he plays defensive back and not wide receiver. I get it. He made the play. He didn't make the play. I don't have much bad. I had to come up with something, Peter. We can't just stop with the good. (laughs) No. no, Leave it there. 
I agree. I mean, it's, a, it's an odd one because what you'll often see is corners, defensive backs in that situation, not turn around for the ball and just run right into the receiver. Cole Komet it was that was down there. That run right into him and give away a pass interference penalty. So, so it was good from that respect to see him turn around and play the football. Because I'll tell you what, you see a lot of corners can cover man for man or whatever, but, but somehow don't turn around on, on time for the football. So, so he did a really good job of that, but it's a play that you want to have. Speaking of not playing the ball, Darnell Savage, I don't remember what play. I got up out of my chair and almost threw my beer into the stands. I think it was the play he tried to blow somebody up and didn't turn around for the football. I am so, I'm done with Darnell Savage. He can go. Bye, Darnell. Special teams, Todd is not here, the special teams coordinator of the average cheese, but Anders Carlson, he is going to be in camp next year. They better bring somebody in to challenge him for the spot. You can't go into the playoffs thinking you're going to win playoff games with a kicker that you have no idea if they're going to make kicks or not. Plus, he can't kick it. It's fucking Mason Crosby all over again. The ball only makes it to like the five-yard line. The Bears kick returns. I mean, they were getting out to the 30 and 35-yard line, and that goes back to what we were saying about the defense playing on a bad field, if you like, or a, or a short field, because the Bears had good field position after the kickoffs pretty much all day. I know you're not switching kickers at this point. I get it. You said that he was a 70%-ish field goal kicker in college. So then you think you got to be on this roster because you have a you're, you have a huge leg and you're going to kick balls through the goalposts on kickoffs. That's not the case. He doesn't have a huge leg. There's no way when you're up a touchdown late that you want them to return the ball. You want them to fair catch it and start at the 25 so you can put your defense out there. You don't need lightning in a bottle where they run it back for a touchdown. I don't think he can get it to the goal line in a cold weather situation. I'm going to have a stroke one of these days watching that dude kick. Anything else before we go? Playoffs, baby. Playoffs? <laughs> oh, yeah. It feels good. So after the game, game ends. Packers are out there on the field, right? For a good, I'm going to say 10 minutes, nobody left. Everybody's just relishing the moment. It was awesome, as you would expect, right? It's awesome when you're watching it on TV Nobody, everybody's cheering, right? Jordan Law's walking around. Everybody's walking around. Everybody's excited. It was a cool moment to be there and have everybody stay. I'm so appreciative to be in that moment. The other thing, it feels different with this team. Last year with the Aaron Rodgers-led veteran group, it was almost like we have to make it, like desperation kind of thing. Whereas this year, it's like, we made it. Can you believe it? Like this young team, the youngest team ever to make the playoffs, the Green Bay Packers at 2023-24. I know there's pressure. It's the playoffs, right? It's it's pressure-filled situation. But these guys are playing on house money. This is a team who shouldn't be in the playoffs, are in the playoffs. There's no expectation. Dallas is the one that should, has to win this game. Let's go on the road, win a bunch of games like they did long ago. <laughs> All right. What else? Anything else? So thanks for listening to episode 157 of the Average Cheese Podcast. Go Pack Go. Go Pack Go.